Hello, and welcome to the Niche Podcast for Friday, January 4th, 2013. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Kelly Shaver. And we're here to talk about building apps that run everywhere. This week, trouble with really big buttons, SMS apps for Kenyan farmers, and how to send API requests to a lamp. Please stay tuned. The Niche Podcast is next. Happy New Year. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Welcome back. Yes, welcome back. I know. I know. Um, I had a had a good vacation. You certainly had an interesting vacation. Yeah, my house caught on fire a little bit. Three thirty in the morning. So, currently broadcasting from a makeshift office in my upstairs. Which way has too much. Way too much sunlight. Way too much sunlight. I mean, it's. It's nice out, but yuck. It's tough to concentrate. Yeah, we need to get you back in the basement. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yep, I'm a, definitely a basement dweller. Windows are not... A, not. I like windows, but not when I'm trying to concentrate. Yeah. I'm like a dog just staring at the cars going by. Ooh, shiny. <laughs> <laughs> so in our continuing struggle to get the sound correct i got some fancy christmas presents uh i got uh, some real headphones and uh, i'm not sure not sure if i like them mm. tell you the truth they make me really self-conscious i can hear everything too clearly <laughs> oh they're too good they're too good i'm not used to high quality audio equipment yeah so what's going on with you guys do you have a uh, good holiday uh, yeah, we had a good one. Uh, we had a quiet Christmas at home, and then we went to um, <laughs> Elvis in the background. Elvis says hi. <laughs> Sounds like blue suede shoes. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe he'll stop here in a minute. That's fine. We don't mind Elvis. Okay. Um, yeah, we had a, a really good quiet Christmas here at the house, and then we went to visit some friends up near Cincinnati. For New Year's and stayed with them overnight that night and um, came back the next day. And we, we all ended up staying up all night and, oh, you know, talking and playing board games and drinking and things like that. Sweet. What kind of board games? Um, uh, We gave Settlers of Catan a go. <laughs> what the hell um, is that? What? What is that? Uh, you never heard of Settlers of Catan? No, it's a, it's a physical board game? Yeah, yeah. Huh. Yeah, there were there were several we played. None of them, probably none of them you've ever heard of. I think that Stone Age, Cutthroat Caverns, Ticket to Ride. Um, <laughs> yeah, just just all kinds of stuff. Never heard of any of them. You've you've not seen a photo of our our board game cabinet, have you? I no. No, I'll have to send you a link to that. It's massive. <laughs> I'm a huge fan of board games, but it's been a long time. When uh, Erica and I first started hanging out, we played a lot of Scrabble, and also, um, and that's not a euphemism, <laughs> <laughs> um, a lot of Scrabble, and uh, every once in a while Monopoly, but those are obviously pretty old school, I'm guessing, compared to what you, the Prisoner of Azkaban, or whatever you just said. <laughs> <laughs> no, so. I don't think that's a board game. It might make a good one, though. I don't know. Yeah. No, that's a Harry Potter book. Oh, okay. I wasn't sure. I know you're into the different Wizard Harry. Yeah. Uh, I like both. 
Actually, Prisoner of Azkaban is my favorite book in the Harry Potter series. Is it? I could I could never pick one. I love those books. So I'm, I'm actually right now trying to stop myself from from having a gab fest with you about the latest Dresden book that you sent me. Oh yes. Yeah, yes. I, I don't want to edit the episode, so we can save it for later. But but the, <laughs> Do it at uh, the end. yeah. But if anybody if anybody out there is into, I don't know what would you call it fantasy. It's like yeah. it's like hard boiled detective novel slash magic. Oh my god, these books are so yeah good. yeah. It's like. It's it's it magic, and um, I mean, in, in some ways, it feels like you know, like Sam Spade, that kind of stuff. Yeah, with a with Raymond, a Raymond Chandler. Yeah, <laughs> it's with pretty. It's pretty awesome. So, we should probably before we veer into uncharted territory like that, we should probably do the bug report. Yeah, Ooh. probably. So y- yeah, I mean, you you mentioned what. The bug report was very. The bug was very strange. That's my favorite kind. So yeah, jump in. I mean, I I know you, you sent me a a uh, sort of a code sample which I studiously avoided reading so that you could surprise me. Yeah, but I figured the sample might be might be easier to help help you understand what I'm talking about and maybe yeah. help you explain it. You can help me explain it to the listeners. Yeah, I'll look at it. I'll look at it in real time. Look at it in real time. Okay. <laughs> Um, basically what I had done, I had set up some media queries to change, change some radio button formatting on this form mm-hmm. so that when the, looking at it on a mobile phone, it would, it would actually hide the, um, uh, the radio button itself and then replace it with, um, some span tags. Oh, okay. All and, right. And show, show some span tags that would basically make it look like really big buttons. Mm-hmm. Because in, you didn't want to style the radio button because it's a pain in the ass. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what they do with jQuery Mobile as well. They uh, they take a lot of the form elements out, which are very difficult to make consistent across platforms. Mm-hmm. And they just replace them with like a, a generated element and automatically apply all of the event listeners to the new thing instead of the old thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was doing. And as a you know, side note, I'm working on another project right now where it's only going to run a WebKit and I can just style the form elements and it's so much easier. But Yeah. But yeah, yeah. So that's that's what I was doing. I was hiding form elements and then styling styling a span tag that was well. I well, I had I had a label, and inside the label I had a few things. Mm-hmm. I had a the radio button input tag, and I had the text for the radio button, mm-hmm. and then I had the empty the empty span tag. Yep. Yeah. And. So, so I was using the CSS um, adjacent element selector, which is the plus sign. Mm-hmm. And so at the smaller resolution, I would select the span tag that was adjacent to this input. Right. And come to think of it, you know, the, the way my markup is, I don't, it doesn't necessarily have to be used that way, but, you know, things had gotten changed around and stuff, and originally that was how I was doing it, so I just I just left it. Right, and, like, once other people are involved, it's like, well, I don't want to mess with the markup now. Yeah. I might have done something, right? Yeah. Yeah, so I... The the radio buttons that I was I was doing was for... Oh, you could So you could select proficiency with languages. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, on each radio button, I had a class name, um, like, for instance, Lang underscore Italian. Right, yep. And on that set of buttons, it was working fine. And so so my CSS selector was like input type equals radio plus span 
you know, show the, the big span tag. I'm just curious, and, why did you need a different class selector for a group of language, like a particular language group? Uh, some validation stuff in the JavaScript. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Yeah, the whole thing is crazy. It never even occurred. You just, you just raised an entire realm of web programming that never even occurred to me, which is field validation on a localized app. Yeah. That never even occurred to me. Like, <laughs> like that's bananas. But anyway, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, a, that's a topic in and of itself, probably. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so I had, like, Lang Italian. Right. And, and that worked fine. And so I was going through my languages there. And then when I get down to Lang underscore Spanish, it shows the, like, the, the really big span tags on everything. What do you mean on everything? Just on, on desktop or on, on that particular row for the Spanish languages. Mm-hmm. It was showing it on, on desktop as well as on mobile, you know, in places where it should have been hidden. Because of the, I see, I see what you mean, okay. Yeah, like it was, like it was mean? because of, because of um, the span in the class Lang Spanish, it was for some reason applying the, the rules for the, selector that should have been adjacent to that tag. It was really weird. <laughs> I'm sure it's like, this is, I'm looking at the code and I can barely follow it. So I'm sure the listener is like, what? Yeah. <laughs> but it, yeah, raises, I'm sorry. it raises a bunch of, no, nah, I mean, it's, you know, it's always the case when you're talking about code, but it's, it raises a whole bunch of interesting um, questions for me that I think are a little more general, but did you, were you able to fix it? Did you figure out what it was or you weren't, or, did it just go uh, away? I just I just fixed it by renaming that class so that it didn't contain span in any way. Oh, now I see what you're saying because Spanish has the word span in it. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. Yeah. Holy mackerel. Yeah, I don't know if it was a if it's a bug in the CSS rendering engine or if I had an open tag somewhere way up the document. Right. Or or what? God, but that's a yeah. good one. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe you can explain it to the listener a little better. I hope that I hope that's actually a bug because that's such a fun bug. Yeah. Is do do you think it's a do you think if it were a bug it would be a fly because then it would be a Spanish fly bug. I am. (laughs) (laughs) Title. (laughs) Title. (laughs) I've been trying to duplicate it, pull it out and duplicate it on on its own since then, and I haven't been able to yet. Okay, so I'll say that I'll try and summarize that in case it was like totally, if it was totally confusing. Mm-hmm. But in the in the code, okay, so in the CSS, there's a. I mean, I would call these fairly advanced selectors. There's some fairly advanced selectors that are looking for, um, you know, span tags. And not just span tags, but span tags that are adjacent to something else. And even in one case, you're using an after pseudo selector. Yeah. So you've got like input type equals radio colon checked plus span colon after in one spot. So that's a fairly, that's a pretty advanced selector. And it's easy to imagine that it's not implemented 100% perfectly everywhere. You know, because, it, I mean, browsers are just so complicated to begin with. Yeah. But, you know, so maybe something that's not plain vanilla, that's definitely not plain vanilla, might not be implemented perfectly everywhere. And then you throw into the mix that there is a string inside of the HTML in question that includes this, you know, 
S-P-A-N, which is the name of the tag they're looking for, even though it's inside the word Spanish and inside quotes and should be totally ignored no matter what. But who knows when you get all that, you know, adjacency and the after selector, who knows what's going on. So, man, that's a good one. I would love it if that was a real bug. Yeah, it was was crazy. Took me forever to find it. Too. That'll be the that'll be the Kelly Shaver bug. If you find if that's really a bug, that you're probably the first person to find it. Name it after me. <laughs> that is a cool one. So it raises a, a couple of. I'm looking at the uh, looking at the code, and you did actually mention this earlier, but you uh, wrapped the inputs in the label. Is that? I never. Uh, early on, when I started working with labeled tags because i didn't you know first when i first started doing web development maybe 10 or 12 years ago you just like write some text and then you put a button next to it or whatever and yeah i didn't or a field and just have a string like oh wait i can actually put a label here and if you click on it it does stuff so uh i never found a a sort of i settled on a on a way that i do it but mm-hmm. I never, I never got super comfortable with like a, the most semantically appropriate way to do it. That mm-hmm. was also very flexible. So the way you have it right now is probably perfect for the the way that your the page needs to look. But I've always had problems when I wrap the uh, element inside the um, inside the label when I do want to style it differently later because it's so specific. Yeah, I tend to only do that on checkboxes and radio buttons. Mm-hmm. If I'm if I'm doing a label for an input or for a text input or a, a text area, I'll do you know, label four equals and then the ID of the of the element. Right. Yeah. So I mean, if the dear listener doesn't know, you can you labels are actually clickable. Like the label tag is actually clickable. So if you have a uh, this is great for mobile because you can make your radio button nice and big. And also make the label clickable. So if, if their finger hits the label itself, it will toggle the uh, either the well the checkbox. It won't toggle the radio button, but um. yeah. And and like in this case where I'm hiding the radio input and showing the span, mm-hmm. I don't have to do anything with JavaScript because you tap the span. The span's inside the label. It's still going to select the proper radio button. Very clever. Very very clever. But the are the but the radio buttons are hidden. So do they get submitted with the form, or you're doing the whole thing with AJAX? Uh, yeah, they get submitted. Even though they're hidden? They get, they get set and they get submitted. Yeah, hidden, hidden data gets submitted. Well, uh, I'm, I should say that I am collecting everything and doing it with Ajax, but I believe they would get submitted anyway. Uh, maybe not if they're hidden. I think that's right. They're not if you use display none. They are if you use um, visibility hidden. Oh, okay. You're, uh, yeah, you're, I think you're right. Well, I don't know if... I'd take your word for that. I was thinking display none. It never occurred to me that visibility hidden was different because visibility hidden still takes up space in the layout. Right. So that makes that kind of makes sense. See, all these fun topics are coming up out of this this one bug, the Is Spanish fly bug. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. I wonder if there are any other tag names that are like a subset of a language string or like other words. Or I hope this is a real bug. Hmm. So, man, that's really cool. You know, the the even stranger part was that it only happened when I had Spanish in the string containing the word span inside the class name. It didn't work in the name attribute. I was going to ask you. Like, if like you, the name attribute still says Lang Spanish. Right. I was going to ask you if the, if you tried that. So 
You yeah. did. Man, that's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, you must have been tearing your hair out. Yeah, I was. Like, I, I even took it into Richard. I'm like, look at this. What is wrong? Something's wrong. Something is something in my coat is broken. Yeah, wow. Man, that's a good one. That you just mentioned Richard, so I want to do a quick tangent and say that I mm-hmm. I wrote my first Python script the other day. Mm-hmm. Like I've looked at Python and I I the 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 significant white space of the language and the lack of uh, semicolons give me gives me vertigo. <laughs> so I can't. I, I love the concept of Python and I love like Guido's whole whole shtick and like his, but I just can't deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had to do a, I was, I'm working on a objective C thing that uh, in iOS thing that I needed to preload a SQLite database with data and embed it inside the application. And, um, and Python has the most amazing SQLite three library that just, you basically just, it's almost like you write Apple script. It's so, it's so, English language, you just mm-hmm. like, hey, database, do this, and here's a CSV file. Make it, make it a table right now. Nice, <laughs> so awesome. I will if the next time I ever have to do any kind of like maintenance or tooling, some kind of like like hacky tool, uh, SQLite thing, I will absolutely be reaching for Python first. Nice. So just quick side note on Python. I I know enough Python to read it and not be lost. Yeah, it's about where I, I mean it's I, it's. I, I, so people people tend to either I think they side lean toward Python or Ruby I think, mm-hmm. and I definitely lean more toward Ruby. Yeah, it's uh, I don't care anymore. <laughs> yeah, I can't even I can barely I have to like look th- st- stuff that I used to like dream. I have to look up now with PHP because I I'm just like purely writing JavaScript now. Mm-hmm. Um. And I just had to write, I, I've just been reading some node code and I'm like, if I ever have to do any more server-side pr- programming, I'm either going to use Rails if it's like a web app or I'm going to use Node if it's like, I don't know, I'm probably full of crap there. I I, sh- I love the way that Node is because I don't have to shift gears in my mind. Right. And I can, it's almost like I can barely remember PHP, but, you know. And I, that's... It's funny. That's kind of what kind of what got me looking at CoffeeScript again because it feels so similar to writing Ruby. Oh, really? Yeah. See, my impression of CoffeeScript was very Pythonish. Like I saw, I saw it, and I was like, "Oh, this reminds me of Python," which makes me want to, you know, I like it. It's clean. It's like nice to look <laughs> yeah. at. But then I like I start to write it, and I'm like, "Oh, I'm getting the willies." <laughs> Just like too much, too OCD. I gotta close those blocks. So I'm even like one of those people that I will not write an if statement in JavaScript and not, I won't do a one-liner. Can't do it. No, I've, I've stopped. I, I used to, but you got me out of the habit. Yeah. I just can't do it. It yeah. just, it just, it makes bugs. Yeah. Yeah. Readability. I mean, you get an extra couple of line breaks and an extra couple of brackets. Big deal. Right. You're going to squash the whole thing later to, anyway. Makes it easier to read and it makes it easier to extend it later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the extending thing is a big one for me too because every time I have to go back and like turn a one-liner if statement into a block, I'm like, why didn't I just do this in the first place? <laughs> yeah, I was, I was trying to be so cool. Trying to be Mister Efficient. Yeah, so cool. So anyhow, who lives at the Spanish fly? <laughs> I'm dying to test that. But anyway, let's move on. Let's move on. That was a good one. 
So you told, I have, I did not hear this story. You told me about this story that I, I love the sound of it because it's about SMS. And I think that SMS, so two things, I think, um, first of all, especially Americans don't realize people in the U S don't realize that, um, smartphone penetration globally is somewhere around 15 or 17% mm-hmm. of all mobile subscriptions. So there's like as popular as iPhones are, you know, approaching, I think 50% penetration in the U S that means in the U S there's still 50% of the people who have a phone that have like a flip phone. And then the number globally is way higher. And that is billions and billions. I think it's something it's approaching 5 billion people. If I'm, if I'm remembering my numbers correctly that have a cell phone, but it is a dumb phone and virtually all of them are SMS enabled. And I, 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 I just feel like SMS applications are, are just totally underrepresented and it kind of, I, I, and I, and I, I don't know. I, I think it kind of feeds my um, attraction to the web in general because the web is so widely distributed, but SMS is even more widely distributed because if you've got, you know, more people have SMS than have access to the web. Right. You know, the web proper, you know, the HTML web. So I, I just feel like there are tons of opportunities there, but it's not sexy. It's very command line type of, of thing, but uh, so, so, you know, with that preamble, uh, I'm like looking forward to hearing this story because I just love this kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I feel like SMS has the potential to be a lot more useful for a lot of people in a lot of places where it needs to be useful. Right. And like this, this um, article that I read is a, a good example of it. And I'll, I'll link, we can link to it in the show notes. But it was an article about some women in Nairobi, Kenya, who had developed uh, SMS applications to help local farmers um, cultivate and sell crops. Mm. So they could send an SMS message and get weather reports or alerts, that kind of thing, or they could they could um, check prices and for local markets and kind of. Kind of, kind of cut out the middleman there and, and make more money selling the crops, mm-hmm. and know you know when's a good time to sell, you know, what, what's in demand this season, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and, imagine I'm I'm I'm, I'm get, I mean I'm not familiar really with the area, but I'm imagining that it's a it's not right next door that um, you know the market is, yeah. and to potentially travel three days to you know. You got It's like two things. You're like, you need to know if like bad weather's coming, and you need to know what the prices are on a given day, and whether or not it's worth it to like, you know, cut bait or you know pull up stakes and head into town or whatever. Yeah. And that that information. I mean, like, think about it. It's like that tiny little bit of information, assuming it's accurate, doesn't take up much. You know, it's not many bites. Yeah. It's like nothing, but it's huge. Yeah, especially especially in a in an environment like that where you know you don't you don't necessarily have access to good roads and rapid fast transportation and um, you know you can't always you you can't just run into town and and check something or you know sometimes even getting to a post office is several days journey away. Yeah, I, I mean, 
just to, to pull it in case it's not obvious to people why that's a big deal. It's just think about back to, you know, I was driving in today and this is just, it's, it was seven degrees out. Okay. It was like six 30 in the morning. It's seven degrees Fahrenheit outside. It's freaking cold and windy. And there's a, this lady who's like skinny as a rake standing there waiting for the bus. And she had this look on her face, like, um, and I, I could just like, I used to be, you know, I used to take the bus all the time. I'm not, I, I don't like cars. I don't have a car. And the not knowing how far away the bus is mm-hmm. turns into this spiraling like panic of like, okay, if I am close enough to work to, it'll take me 45 minutes to walk from where I am. And if the bus doesn't come in the next five minutes, I'm going to be late. But if I leave right now, I'll make it. But I don't really want to walk the whole way. Yeah. Because it's either raining or snowy or whatever. And then your brain starts to do this thing where you're like, did I, is today a holiday? Like, are there no buses? Why am I the only person standing here? And you start to get into this, like, because you don't know. So you, and you've got nothing to do and you're freezing and miserable and uncomfortable. Yeah. So that tiniest, a dot on a map of an approaching bus would completely change that entire experience. Yeah. Drastically. And that's just waiting for a bus. So imagine you have to like pack up a, you know, a, you know, I'm going to try not to be too stereotypical because I'm totally making this up, but like you have to pack up probably not a, a fancy truck, probably like, you know, a not so fancy truck with yeah. like, gig- if you have one or yeah, a wagon, if you even have a truck. I mean, I saw, whatever, I don't know if you saw that movie Babies, but it's awesome and hilarious. And, and this, uh, I, these, this couple, and I don't know where, but you know, like Mongolia or something, come home from the hospital, from the hospital with a baby and a two-year-old on a motorcycle. So two parents, Mm. a newborn and a two-year-old on a motorcycle over grass, you know, and it, and they were like, yeah, that's, that's what you do, you know? So imagine like you're like weighing all these factors and like, is it going to rain or the, is the price worth it? Should I just wait anyway? Oh God, it's gigantic. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, some of, some of the roads in the more rural areas, especially in places in, in Africa, you know, if you have a heavy enough rain, those roads become impassable because you know, they're, they're dirt roads and mm-hmm. they're deep and they're rutted and they're muddy. And- yeah. Cripes. So, uh, so, okay. So here's a, I could, I could just like be like, oh my God, SMS the best all day long. Yeah. I could go on for this, about this forever. You <laughs> could, I mean, you can, it's, I mean, it's not just limited to data for farmers. You, you could deliver educational information to school children or medical information to hospitals and anything. Yeah. Tons of stuff. And it's like, uh, we were talking earlier over chat, you know, the way, the way, you know, like last week I dialed my first 911 call of my life. And it, it's like such a, I don't know. It's like, it's, I was pretty amazed by it actually, uh, how everything worked and how efficient it is and how fast to like fire trucks got here and all that. Yeah. But E9, E911 system is pretty cool. Yeah. It's like, it's like massively redundant. It's got all, it's got all of this sort of, you know, I don't even, we don't need to go into that. But the, the point is that, that this technology is, I feel like it's got a, I think SMS, I feel like it's got a similar kind of utility. Like mm-hmm. it's massively reusable for any kind of, you know, text-based broadcast data or, or, you know, command line style application interface. 
It's why I'm like super jazzed about Twilio. I love Twilio. I think it's the coolest thing ever. So from it, so rather than, you know, rather than just like pat SMS in the back all day, I, I have two questions. I wonder if we're answered in the uh, article, mm-hmm. which I see as one of them is the, the big drawback with SMS apps, in my opinion, which is that there's, there's no discovery method. Like how did, how do farmers find out about it? Yeah, I have no idea. It was wasn't really wasn't really discussed. The article was more a profile on on these women mm-hmm. because um, Kenya and and other parts of other other African nations um, have pretty clearly defined gender roles, mm-hmm. and not not to say necessarily that that women are always discriminated against because in some cultures they do have. You know, there have as many as many rights as, as men do, but then they may still have some some very sort of stereotypically defined gender roles in terms of you know, what it, what they do in mm-hmm. society, taking right. care of the home, that kind of thing. Right. So the article was more of a profile on on these women because that's it represents quite a you know it's a, a pretty pretty big shift in, in thinking there. So yeah, I was. Uh, is, it's it's cool for that reason too. So. Right. It's like an enable. Yeah. Like never mind the, the benefit to the end users. It's also like a, a shift of the sort of socio-political climate of the culture. Yeah. I read an, a, on a related note, I read something the other day about, um, about the, you know, that, that someone wondering if the sort of the shift to digital goods and the kind of global nature of, the ability for anyone to publish an application pretty much. Uh, it's certainly not absolutely everyone, but it's pretty, it's pretty, the bar is pretty low mm-hmm. to be able to publish an application and like start selling stuff. You know, yeah. it's almost like uh, if you, if you are in, if you do have some kind of digital good, there's a huge market for it. Yeah. Like uh, if, if you know, like if you build it, they will come. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, if you build something good, you can you. There's a marketplace for you to reach the entire planet. So you you may or may not your thing may or may not be good, may or may not catch on, of course. But you have the opportunity, which I think is a a big huge deal. It's interesting to think about, uh, you know, the effect on the global economy as people shift. You know, I feel like people are shifting uh, to valuing digital goods a lot more than they were initially. I guess that's sort of stupid to say because when did digital goods even start to exist? <laughs> like 2002? <Yeah. laughs> like when did the first iPod come out? You know, and I, to me, that's the first time I can remember a digital good, like an MP3. Well, no, I guess before that it was like software. You could like trade discs and stuff. But it's obviously, it's like a huge part of the economy now, like where, you know, a portion of your disposable income goes to like being at purchases of a mighty eagle and angry birds or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, 90, probably, well, I don't know about 90, probably 80% of my business purchases are for things that don't physically exist. Right. And it always reminds me of like, of like getting, like charging to teach, like getting paid to teach people Klingon. <laughs> yeah. Like it's so useless unless a lot of people want to know it. And that's, and that's all there is to it. If a lot of people want to know it and you can teach it to them, 
then you have a business, even though absolutely nobody speaks Klingon in the real world. <laughs> yeah, that, that's kind of how I feel as a developer, because I mean, I, I sit at a computer and I type lines of code into the computer and I make things that don't really exist out of other, out of nothing and make money from it. And it's just, you stop and think about it. That's kind of, that's kind of mind blowing. Yeah. So it's super, yeah. Especially considering that anybody with an internet connection could compete with you, yeah. which I think is a good thing. And it's a perfect segue into the next talk, which is about connected devices and physical items yes. and the internet of things. Because what if that stuff that you, type into a computer that doesn't really exist, air quotes, can turn on your lights or vibrate the your bracelet or whatever. Yeah. Then it's sort of the the sort of blurring of lines between meat space and cyberspace is well upon us. Yes, and it's gonna be it's gonna be so awesome in the <laughs> I can't wait. It's gonna be so much fun. Yeah. I'm I'm with you, but I do see the dark side. I, yeah. I do recognize that it exists, but everything has that, you know, fire has dark side. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was I was telling my friend uh, that we went to visit over New Year's. I was showing her the, the, the up band and telling her about that. And she goes, that's cool, but it's also kind of creepy. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I, I got one as well. It's, a, mm -hmm. it's uh, too small, though, so I have to return it. I haven't gotten around to it yet. But I had the original version, so I know. I know what it's yeah. like, but can you describe it to the dear listener? Uh, yes, it is. It is a device in the form of basically a bracelet, it's pretty lightweight, that you wear on your arm, and it monitors monitors your activity level. So can you know, count like the pedometer and you know the the amount and intensity of of your activity, mm -hmm. and then you can also switch it to night mode, and it will monitor your sleep patterns. Yes, how and, much you move and, around. and Yeah, how much you move around, how many times you wake up, light sleep, deep sleep. And um, you can plug it into your iPhone, and it syncs with an app on your iPhone. Unfortunately, it does not do Bluetooth sync. Yes, that is my one complaint really about nice. it, is that it's not actually yeah. connected. Yeah, but I guess you know they probably have to save room in there for antenna and battery and right. all that stuff. So. Right. Yeah, I'd rather have the battery life than the connectivity, but still, it would be... It would be a big difference if it was connected. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so then yeah, you could send it push notifications. Yes, then you could. And and as I was telling you, you know, I want to now. I kind of want to develop a a connected fire alarm that if it goes off in the middle of the night, it's gonna or well anytime I guess yeah. it's gonna you know send a notification to the little band on my wrist to vibrate and. And then I can stick one on my child who can sleep right through a smoke alarm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, if it were, if it were addressable, the way mm -hmm. that a, a phone is with a, either an SMS or uh, a push notification, it would, it would be pretty game changing. A stupid yeah. little thing like that, a silly little thing like a, a you know, particular pattern of vibration on your wrist that you could hook up to. Uh, if this, then that, or or web script IO, or or any cron yeah. job on your web server, and flash you could, a couple of indicator lights, vibrate, whatever. Yeah, vibrate a couple of indicator lights. You could set up a whole. You could, you know, I, I, I mean, I'm only half kidding when I say that Morse code could come back. You know what I mean? It's like, 
as a, as like a, a popular thing. Like, oh, you know, you get like you. I can totally imagine teenagers texting each other and receiving Morse code on their wrist. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. You know, just short little messages of you know SMS ease just vibrated under their wrist and they'd have all sorts of shorthand and everything else. And they'd just be like, mm-hmm. Oh, I know this is from this particular friend of mine. And they're saying this, or, you know, the answer to number five <laughs> is B. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, it's, it's something so stupid. It, it's not flashy. It's not cool. It's like completely be, be built out of existing technology. That's boring at this point, but that would be rad. Yeah. That'd be awesome. <laughs> you could build so many crazy things on top of that. So that I think you know it's 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 anybody that's uh, been listening knows that I'm like really really into the next the the post smartphone thing. Like I'm starting to look mm-hmm. at smartphones and be like, God, I have to pull this thing in my pocket. I gotta like I gotta look at it. What a pain, you know? And yeah, you know that's that's funny you mentioned that because when I was uh, back when my when my eyesight was getting worse last year and I wasn't sure what was going to happen, I was I was toying with the idea of, of learning Braille. Oh, right. And was practicing a little bit. Hmm. And, like, if you had something, like, the size of a wristband that could do, like, a tiny refreshing Braille, mm-hmm. that would be awesome. That would be sick. Yeah. Like, wireless connected, tiny thing, refreshing Braille thing. Because refre- Braille displays are so, they're, like, expensive and they're huge and they're... Could you do yeah. like a, could you, you know those, you know those, like, little LED crawl signs that you see at, like, a convenience store? Mm-hmm. seems like you could do something like that with Braille and not move your finger and just leave your finger in one place and have it like Braille away underneath you, like a crawl. Yeah, there are, I mean, and I, I guess that's how they work. I just, I don't know of any that are, that are really, you know, small. Mm. Yeah. I, I remember you mentioned something, I, I, it must've been you that said it to me that I was like totally blown away by this, but that when, when you see someone who's good at reading Braille, their fingers are like all over the place because they're looking at Yeah, like ahead. they'll read it with they'll read it with both hands. Right. Like they're they're like which I'm sure you do with your eyes unconsciously. I don't notice doing it, but I guess I'm kinda glancing around and getting a feel for where I am on the page and, you know, how much of a paragraph is coming up next and uh, it is just like <laughs> Yeah. I've seen people who are really good, really, really proficient with braille kind of reading reading things with with two hands and like it all it looks like from my perspective it looks like they're reading two things at once mm. and it's just kind of mind-blowing like, yeah <laughs> saw a video a while back of a of an air braille thing i think you saw it too or yeah they, they would blow the dots at the person's hand yeah and uh, i could read it so so on that same, so the up the up band is really cool uh, in terms of behavior modification, and it does sync to your phone, and you get these sort of like nice charts and graphs about your um, your you get this sort of behavioral analytics of your own life. Yeah, and you can you can do things like track calories, and and there's a part that's very similar to Moodly on it too, where you can, <laughs> which I did not realize until I got it. I was like, oh, oh, that's new. I didn't Moodly see that in built the first in. One. Yeah, you can you can select your mood, and you do it by adjusting this little smiley face guy. Oh wow, that's too bad. <laughs> and then you, and then you add an adjective. I'm like, oh wow, yeah, because yeah. they're because they're trying to like make a connection between your mood and like your food and activity levels. Yeah, that makes sense. But uh, yeah, so the the um, 
the the issue though with the uh, um, lack of connectivity, I think, is a big deal. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, the the other big Christmas present that was received by the niche team was so uh, jealous of you. Yeah, you should because this is cool. Yeah, I'm gonna uh, get one as soon as I get paid on this project. <laughs> it's totally worth it. The, I can call it business expense. Exactly, you're testing. In the office. Uh, I got the Philips Hue light bulbs. They're LED. They're wireless Wi-Fi LED light bulbs. So if you didn't think we were geeky yet, so cool. I can send REST API requests to my lamp. <laughs> so awesome. It is so awesome. It is so cool. There's now something... you need to tie it in with the SoundCloud API. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, Change it to the music. It's the mind reels. It's like, so there's a couple. It's not perfect. It's definitely V1. It's definitely first gen, but it's surprisingly good. Uh, for example, we, well, let me, I'll back up and describe what it is. So the, you get this, um, you get three LED light bulbs that go into a standard, you know, like lamp screw in socket, like any, any U.S. electrical lamp socket. And they are roughly the size and shape of uh, a regular incandescent bulb. And you screw them in. And then you take a base station, which I think is what it's called, a base, Wi-Fi base mm-hmm. station. And you plug it into your, via Ethernet, into your router, which I thought was a little bit lame at first that you have to plug it in via Ethernet uh, to your router. I assumed that you just like sort of throw it in the room, plug it into a socket, and yeah. you know it would be uh, an access point. And you just look around and you'd be like, oh, there's a there's my my hue access point and just get like a configuration page yeah you'd think you'd think that they would have done that but i have a feeling they didn't for security reasons Mm -hmm. because they they're two there's there's one thing that they definitely do for security reasons and i have a feeling the uh the ethernet requirement is for the same reason uh so it makes it a lot less hackable um so you, I, I mean, it was totally just worked. You know, I plugged the thing into the wall. I plugged the thing into the, my router, and which, of course, is like nothing but open ports because it's I don't you plug anything into it directly. Yeah. And uh, and what do you do next? Then once you plug that in, then you uh, open up. You go to like there website or something super oh no no you know what it was i used the iphone app they have an iphone app Mm. and they're like make sure you're on the same wireless network as the uh, base station and press this press this button and you know it says like look for the hue on your network and it's looking for it and it's like okay we found we found the device on the network now go over to the device and hold down the button on the top and what that does i didn't realize at the time but what that does is that basically acts as your password. So uh, I, I learned later that, well, I'll get to that after I finish describing it. So you press the button and now your your phone is paired with the thing and you can see in the app, you've got these, you've got three lights and because the, the starter kit comes with three lights and you can, you can manually set the colors, but you don't really do that. You, you pick photos from a list Mm-hmm. and it'll it'll like pick out the three primary colors from the photo and then it like changes your environment to kind of like match that photo yeah which i thought was a really clever user interface i assumed you'd just be picking colors on each lamp but then of course you all day long you'd end up with like clashing crappy colors and 
You can if you want to, I believe. You certainly can, can yeah. yes. You absolutely can, but I literally never do it because it, it takes about 30 seconds. And you're like, I'm never going to get these right. <laughs> uh, it, it definitely takes um, some skill to get them right. And I did also find that there are only about two or three settings that I even care for mm-hmm. in the defaults. Um, so, you know, there are, you could have an infinite number of selections, but there's only a couple that actually you probably ever, that probably ever matter. Yeah. I basically have like a reading one where they're all sort of this uh, yellowish reading light, like an incandescent bulb. And then there's a kind of underwater one that's like purple and blue and red. Yeah, I saw that one, your your submarine. It's yeah, good for the basement. Yeah, it's great for the basement. It's great for like focusing and, you know, and you can time them. So you set it up to, you know, yada, yada. it does everything you'd think it would do. But wait, there's more. Uh, some clever hacker sniffed his network traffic. And uh, it was actually a guy. And he discovered that the phone is communicating with the base station using a simple rest api and it's one of those it's not really a rest api it's a simple http um api that well it use put actually um but i don't think it's really a pure rest api but regardless it's very simple and uh it's not documented he just kind of reverse engineered it and put the his findings on google code so i think they're i think they're eventually going to release documentation for they it. did say that they would they they did say that they um they're interested in a couple of things i think they might be a little bit overexcited about this but uh, <laughs> it, it seems like they're gonna have they have a sharing thing where you can you can regular users can come up with like lighting schemes and then share them with other users and uh uh it's that's sort of interesting there's kind of a weird limitation which may or may not be interesting yeah. but is in that some of the configurations are for like eight bulbs. So, and there's no way to like filter it down to be like, well, I only have three bulbs, so I don't want to see the ones that require heat, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And the stuff I shared from my office would look totally different in your basement. Yeah. It's a little bit, it's a little weird. It's almost like they're going to, you can almost feel them like, I don't know if they're trying to go like all, like try and get a, like a social media thing going or if they're trying to, if they're going to create like a marketplace of like, you know, a lighting design by, you know, Oprah Winfrey, yeah. you know, or whatever. <laughs> Buy these, you know, like buying ringtones, but it's lighting for your basement. Yeah. So anyway, the the um, the REST API is incredibly simple, and the, there's it's it's exactly what you'd think, which is like you know you you just like have these sort of pretty URLs that you point at the IP address of the thing, and you tell it like API slash lights, and you know it's a get request. It returns all the information about the lights. You can drill into one of the lights and be like, what's the actual settings? You can send an alert to the lights. So it'll make it flash. Or you can send a long alert to the light, which makes it flash like eight times. Um, so to me, that's the that's the really cool thing because most of the time I found that I once I got a few color schemes that I liked, I didn't really care to change them very much because mm-hmm. there are tons of ones that look like crap in the in your space mm-hmm. but the alert thing is really cool because you can expose your obviously you can expose your network to the internet and then use anything any cron job or ifttt or or oh, i just got a just got an email flash my light right and so it, i'll to be honest though as cool as that sounds i couldn't think of anything that i wanted to get alerts about in that fashion <laughs> yeah you know be- yet i mean i would love it if the if the doorbell would flash the lights yeah and didn't ring the doorbell because when the doorbell rings the dog's bark and if the kid's sleeping then the kid's awake so i'd much rather have the doorbell flash my lights 
but there's you know the doorbell's the weak link there <laughs> yeah. so so to get to that that sort of like you know it would be awesome if i could send my doorbell to ifttt like oh if someone presses your doorbell then flash the lights in the basement send an sms tech, you know text to the phone and do mm-hmm. a couple you know a couple of other things whatever to not not surprise the dogs i feel like you could do that with an arduino in some time well, and you can actually, there's a, a Kickstarter project that's, I believe it's Arduino based that is the open source version of the Hue light bulbs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's the time thing. Like this, this thing is polished, man. I mean, the, the, the box, the packaging, it was gorgeous. There was like a, it was gorgeous. It was like yeah, very. I, I, I think Apple's probably on board with some of that. I, they, I don't know. I don't know exactly how they partnered but it was announced that apple and phillips partnered on this project and it wouldn't surprise me in the least if apple was responsible for the packaging because it was probably the most gorgeous packaging i've ever seen on anything there's magnets in it and it was color wheel and it was like you'd rotate it and it was just over the top and it didn't disappoint once i plugged everything in it just totally worked immediately did everything was supposed to do Uh, i got the api working no problem uh, very cool. I mean, the the trickiest part with the the API is like configuring your network to accept traffic from outside of your house, which is like not their fault. Yeah. Yeah, having having to open the ports in your network. Yeah, yeah. Which I gave up on. I'm like, Ugh, I'm gonna. And then I switched over to like using something like No IP or Dyn DNS, and then I gave up yeah. on that. And I was like, oh, I'll do this later. My house is on fire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I um. I had a candle on my dresser once and fall over and catch some papers on fire while I was talking to a friend. And I actually typed BRB, bedrooms on fire, before I went and dealt with it. <laughs> <laughs> and then afterwards, I was like, I really need to re-examine my priorities. <laughs> I know. I was like, like on that same point, I was, uh, you know, it's 3 a.m. There are flames shooting out of the back of my house. You're taking videos. Full of smoke. I, I, it was interesting what occurred to me and what didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, based on, you know, you totally go into lizard brain mode and like monosyllabic primary color type of, you yeah. know, lots of gesticulating, not much talking. Yeah. Like, and, like, uh, like get the, get the kid and, and, and Erica and the pets out. And yeah. Then... Number one, kid out of the house. Number yeah. two, pets out of the house. Uh, number three, put pants on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was raining. It was sleet. It was like total nor'easter, but whatever. Oh. But the the what was in, the, a couple of things I found interesting um, were that it never occurred to me to. Um, there were two points where it occurred to me to take pictures, and I and I I did take exactly two pictures, mm-hmm. uh, but. Normally, it's the kind of thing that you know. If I was a bystander, I would have been. I would have been up in that. I would have had like a seventy right. photo gallery online, you know. Right. But uh, even though there was like, um, I don't know. I, I suppose it's not surprising to hear that, but it was a huge shift from the way that I normally normally would be. And uh, and the other thing that was interesting was that that after it was over, I went over to Erica's parents' house because it was like, it's way too smoky in the house to stay there. And, you know, it was like a huge hole in the side of the house. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I didn't really, I just didn't, we didn't need anything unusual. I didn't. 
you know, we had to bring some stuff for Cooper, but not that much and some stuff for Erica, but not that much. But I just grabbed my regular, like leaving the house stuff and I was all set to go, Yeah, you know, set up anywhere. And, and it's, I was like, wow, you know, I don't really think about it because I'm so used to it, but the, the mobile office type of concept is totally like real, you know? I mean, that sounds dumb to say it out loud, but I was like, you know, everyone's like, oh, wow, you know, how are you going to, you know, you're displaced and blah, blah. And I'm like, I don't, you know, I don't feel that much different. Yeah. Like most of, most of the difference is really just having to deal with workmen and stuff. Yeah. Like it's, I'm sleeping somewhere else, but you know. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, uh, it would be a lot more disruptive if everything I needed to do my job, I couldn't put in a small bag that I carry around. Right, right. Like in my case, in my case, it would be mo- more disruptive because, like, I could take my laptop and I could write code. Mm-hmm. But if I needed to do work in Photoshop or something like that, I would I would really miss having the the large display of the iMac. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and to to that point, I have been carrying around my MacBook Pro and not my Air mm-hmm. because there are some things like this. This is actually the most difficult. Uh, doing the podcast is the most sort of. Immobile, yeah, it's the most exactly. It's the most cumbersome thing because the because I chose to use the the regular mic stand and not just use the iPhone, the iPhone one. But I could have done that. It's not as good, but so. Well, we should probably wrap up. I think we're we might be uh, might be going a little long. Kind of rambling there. <laughs> yeah, getting yeah, lost in it. It's, uh, yeah, it's been two weeks well, though, so I feel like it's, I feel it's like, been two weeks, and your house caught on fire. So you know, yeah, right? Exactly. Kind of got a pass on that, I think. Right. So lots of fun stuff in the uh, the Internet of Things and SMS and all that stuff. So hopefully, we didn't bore the dear listener. Yeah. <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna be really cool in about five years when like all of our stuff is connected. Yeah. Well, so the thing that, no, okay. I know I'm trying to wrap, but the, the thing that like you hear a lot of sort of futurist people being like, Oh, you know, there, there's technology that can read our thoughts. And, and even I see that cause there is that stuff and people are working on it, but that's a long way off. Even the Google glass thing I feel like is farther off than people want to believe, mm-hmm. but there's still a ton of radical stuff. People can do stupid SMS and like, yeah. s- like stupid Wi-Fi and yeah. IP addresses and HTTP. That, yeah. It's like not tapped out. There's tons of stuff. No, like your fridge could say, oh, hey, you're out of milk. Yeah, like people people are like, oh, that's no big deal. But I guarantee you Shaw's and Stop and Shop and Target and Walmart would be all over that. Yeah. They'd be like creating all sorts of applications on top of that capability. As soon as it hits critical mass, they're going to be on it. So... Anyway, that'll be the topic. They're going to be putting ads on your fridge. <laughs> well, if they're relevant, then that's fine with me. Yeah, it's like, oh, your fridge tells us you're out of this. Here's a coupon. Yeah, you, you finished, your, or like you you forgot to replace the toilet paper you finished. <laughs> <laughs> we don't keep toilet paper in our refrigerator, but you get the idea. Yeah, that, that would be very, very strange. Well, just the used stuff, because it starts to stink if you leave it out. <laughs> oh, <laughs> And with that, <laughs> and with that, <laughs> that's our show for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. I'm Kelly Shaver. And we hope you join us again next week for the Niche Podcast. No, See you we later. wouldn't blame you if you didn't. <laughs>